So Numbers 21, beginning in verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Let's pray, Father. Thank you, Lord, for um, just being able to open up your word this morning. I pray that you'd open up our hearts, Lord, and help us understand these things, Lord. And I pray, Lord, um, you teach us much, draw us to yourself, and do work in each of our hearts as well, Lord. And we, we need to draw close to you today. So I pray for your help, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So by way of background, oh, hopefully I have all this. Yes. God's people are journeying in the wilderness on the way to um, a land God has promised for them. We often call it the promised land. Um, and it's uh, described in Ezekiel. It says, a land flowing with milk and honey which is the glory of all lands. So they've been liberated from slavery under Pharaoh and protected from his attempt to recapture them. They've passed through the midst of the Red Sea on dry ground and uh, they never saw those Egyptians again. And now they're following the Lord as pilgrims or wanderers is another word for pilgrim. Um, where am I here? Um, they're being led by a pillar of cloud during the day and by a pillar of fire I guess the same cloud turns fiery at night, um, during the night. So, lovely, lovely background there. But it all hasn't been rosy. You can read those when in your own time. It hasn't all been rosy. Um, they had a lot to complain about um, when they were in captivity in Egypt. But they didn't stop complaining once they got out of Egypt and once they, they went through into the wilderness. So... Um, uh, pretty much the first thing they did was they started murmuring. All right. um, they murmured when they came to water at a place called Mara, that water was too bitter to drink, so they started murmuring. Uh, to murmur, I looked it up in the dictionary, it says, <laughs> complaining in a low, muttering voice. <laughs> so um, uh, they were, obviously it's not totally out loud or whatever, it's maybe what um, you might assume teenagers do or husbands do when their wives say something. Or <laughs> so they're, <laughs> so they're, they're muttering away to themselves. There. <laughs> All right. And um, they started murmuring. But God's reaction to this first murmuring, because it's, it's in all of us, right? Um, he said, look, be sure to follow me. Um, and I look after you and protect you. And what he did is he told Moses, look, just throw this branch into the water. It'll be fine. So he looked after them and he said, look, I look after you, just you don't need to murmur about anything, okay? But then, that was Exodus 15, in the very next chapter, they're at it again. But this time they're not thirsty, they're hungry, all right? And again, they're murmuring and um, God says, a little bit more straight, and you've imagined the second time around when you do something, um, when your parents are correcting you or something like that, he says, you don't need to murmur against me, and then, 
he did supply their need and he provided them one with mana, which is a pretty amazing thing in itself, but also all these quail came flying in and they were able to swat them and have a nice meal. I don't know if any of you have ever had quail, but they were happy about it anyway. All right, so they're murmuring, they're murmuring, and then you get to Exodus 17. Remember now they've just come out of Egypt and they're free people. Um, they're, they won't wait on the Lord again, and they're murmuring about water. So there was water, there was fixed, then they were hungry, that was fixed. Now they're back complaining about water, and God tells Moses to strike the rock before them. So yet again, they can taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay? So, um, yeah, murmuring. Lots of it. <laughs> okay? So um, I'll, I'll pause there a second. Um, so, you know, we all have our faults, and none of us are perfect, right? But, um, you know, th these people they just won't wait on the Lord, and things really keep going downhill from there. So if you follow the children of Israel up to this point here in Numbers 21, um, the, like Moses goes up and gets the ten, tab the, the ten tablets. No, he doesn't get ten tablets. He gets the ten commandments on two tablets of stone, actually. And um, they get bored waiting for him, basically. And they're like, ah, you know, we someone needs to, um, we need a substitution here. We need another God to follow. Um, and they make, uh, Aaron makes a golden calf. So um, um, at this stage, then the, the Lord, he, he's changed tune and he's not kind of, you know, being understanding at this point, um, he's actually upset, he's displeased. And it says that the Lord plagued the people, okay? And then they continue to whine and complain uh, further on into the book of Numbers. And it says here, it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it and his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. So immediately after this and all that consequences and stuff, then they're whining again about the, the manna is so boring and they just have to have manna every day, every day, it's always the same, manna, manna, manna. And um, th so they're whining, they're whining about that and um, uh, God sends some quail with them, uh, w to them or whatever, you know, that they could have. But he also, along with that, he sent um, a very great plague was the quote, okay? So basically, um, you know, uh, he answered a need, but those who were lusting after that kind of stuff or whatever, those are the people who suffered at that point, okay? And then it goes on and on. Um, there's more examples and rebellion and things that happen, okay? So just this is the kind of point that we get to. Um, they have an honorable goal. They're going to the promised land. It's not all been rosy. And um, just that bit of background so that we understand where the children of Israel are, what's happened in the past, and and um, how it's affecting their decisions now. So um, if you look here in verse 4 in Numbers 21, we'll get on to our first point. The children of Israel, they got discouraged with God's way. So it says here, when they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. So they had to go around it. They asked the guy, could they go through it? And he said no, and he came out and fought them. Um, uh, withstood them, this guy who owns Edom or runs it. <laughs> and they had to go around it now. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way, okay? So the people got discouraged um, while following God's directions, or the way God would have them to go, okay? So obviously, we should well know by now the way of the Lord and his ways, what he likes and what he doesn't like and things of like that. 
how how we can get on well and how we don't get on well okay and um, sometimes that can be tough if you turn to Psalm 103 keep your finger in numbers 21 I suppose because we'll be back there but Psalm 103 verse 14 talking about the Lord here it says for he, he knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are dust okay so God is understanding and he understands that you know we don't have a lot of strength of ourselves and we're going to get discouraged at some point okay so things happen in our lives that weaken us in our mind and in our spirit and as they say they knock us for six okay um, David experienced it everybody I suppose you could say experience in the Bible but we have a quote here from David in Psalm 43 he says why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Okay? When this happens, when we get discouraged, we often feel we don't have the strength to stand back up on our feet. That's where we get that kind of, um, we get feel cloudy in our minds and unsure what to do next. Okay? And, and we're often wondering what will help, what will help our situation. Okay? So at this point, whether you're saved or unsaved, people turn to a lot of different things for help. Okay? Um, you know, you, you have people accusing Christians that Jesus is their crutch. All right? And that's not, not a bad thing at all, <laughs> okay? Um, but um, people use other things for crutches. They use um, things that aren't so savory. And that's why dad's running 12 weeks of freedom because people, when they get discouraged and things like that, sometimes they turn to addictive substances and things like that. And they, they struggle very much, okay? Um, so at this point, you know, obviously we're all Bible believers here. So this is when we need to turn to God for encouragement, okay? Because... We've got a few quotes here. Jesus says, God hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. That's Isaiah 61. So he can be our strength when we have no strength of our own. Okay? It's, it's very easy to say that, but it's, it's another thing to actually have that great need and to turn to the Lord for that. For that okay? He can be wise for us when we don't know what to do. And that's why you know, th these verses are so popular. Even people who don't read the Bible know them. Right? Like Isaiah 40 but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Um, so, but, but another point is here, they were discouraged. They weren't just discouraged full stop. They were discouraged with God's ways, okay? And that's another thing entirely altogether, all right? Um, what are we to do when we're doing right? Um, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we're discouraged doing that. <laughs> we're doing the things we're supposed to be doing. We're doing things that are supposed to be helping. And yet we're still discouraged. Okay? Um, and we don't feel, what, what are we to do when we have the promises of God, but we don't feel like they're enough? All right? Well, um, basically, that struggle, I think, is none other than um, what Peter calls um, fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Okay? And, um, because, of course, as we're trying to do right, like Paul teaches in Rome 7, you know, to will is present with me how to find that which is how to perform that which is good I find not okay our flesh will kick up while we're following the ways of God and our flesh doesn't like to be mortified or put away if you're familiar with any of those verses or reckoned dead okay and that's why Paul teaches that he he keeps under himself says in 1st Corinthians 9 um, here let's go there just to read that verse this is a good verse but when we get our flesh is getting a little testy or whatever the word is <laughs> 1 Corinthians 9.27 This is the fight that Paul has to do right and to stay right, to keep right, to keep himself in the love of God stay on the right path, okay? So he says, 
1 Corinthians 9.27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Okay? So the people are discouraged, and the decisions that we make when we're discouraged, um, when we're at those weakest of moments, are, are often really crucial and life-altering decisions you know, that we can end up coming to when we're in the weakest of states, and that's, that's a very dangerous situation. Okay? So um, people got discouraged. So now I'm back in um, Numbers 21, and we're moving on in the story. And it says in verse 5, And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. Um, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Okay? So the people basically let the discouragement get to them. They could have made an honorable decision or they could have come to the Lord straight away at that point. But they had a reaction instead, a fleshly reaction, right? Um, so they start bad-mouthing God and his servant Moses and criticizing him. Okay? Psalm 140 says, They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. Okay, so basically they're saying there in the verse that um, there's no water, there's no bread. And then they say, uh, they kind of contradict themselves and they say, Our soul loaded this light bread. So it's not the bread that they want. They want, you know, some lovely bread with sunflower seeds and cranberries inside it or something like that. But all they're getting is this light manna, which well, the Bible says it's kind of like coriander seed and honey in this kind of light fluffiness. Uh, sounds nice to me, but they're bored with it anyway. Okay, and the thing is, they're used to a different diet. They're used to the diet of the world. You know, Egypt is always a picture of the world, and they're like, it's not like it used to be. I used to have this. Like, we used to get garlics and cucumbers and, and leeks and all this kind of stuff, and they're talking about when they were enslaved. Probably didn't have the time to sit down and enjoy those things, even if they did have them, um, because they were having to make bricks and do all the different things because uh, they were in slavery, all right? But still they look back and they're like, oh, um, things ain't what they used to be, okay? And that oftentimes that's our flesh harking back to the old life and saying, oh, we had so much fun when we did this thing and that thing, and now I get to do nothing, you know? All right, but um, we'll, we'll look at that in a second. Um, obviously the proper reaction, if they kind of um, um, had uh, searched their heart about it, would be, as it says in Psalm 116, it says to offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving, okay? So, you know, it's better to have a little where love is than, you know, what, what does the Proverbs verse say? Um, little where love is than, you know, it says like basically a, a house full of things um, and, a uh, and a house full of strife. And you have all the stuff, you have all the things that the world has or whatever, but you're not getting on and you prefer to dwell in the corner of a house top than talk to your wife and <laughs> all this kind of stuff, okay? It's better to have a, a maybe a little less than you would hope to have, but have those most important things, all right? And that's where we offer the uh, sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. God's rescued, you know, if they thought about it, God has rescued them. God has kept them and sustained them. I don't know what my next point is. Ah, yeah, there you go. Um, God has literally answered their prayers. Like They've had physical answers to prayer where the stuff that they needed, the water came out of a rock when they didn't know where to find it for themselves. Um, and after all that God did for them, and you know, we put it on ourselves, after all God does in our lives, why is it that we automatically drop him like a hot potato when we hit a bump in the road or have a hint of a struggle? All of a sudden, God isn't good enough anymore. Who does he think he is to give me a problem? I don't need any problems. I've got enough of those. Or, you know, these kind of things that we would say or think in our hearts and minds. 
okay? So, you know, when these sort of things happen and we're, we're in that wrong frame of mind, we immediately assume that God's mercies are, they're all in the past tense, or his grace is insufficient, or he's forgotten us completely, and he probably doesn't even love us anymore. This is our mind just going totally haywire and out of control, okay? And, um, but those are the same lies that the serpent told Eve in the garden, okay? That we need to be us and God is holding back and, you know, um, there's something more out there that would be better than what has God, God has decided that we should have, okay? So um, uh, I read a, a quote by Charles Spurgeon. He said, this is another of man's follies. His heart refuses to feed upon God's word or believe God's truths. He craves for the food of carnal reason, the leeks and the garlic of superstitious tradition, and the cucumbers of speculation. I <laughs> thought that was interesting. Um, God has promised to supply our every need, but not our every lust. Okay? And then, um, you know, like David, our, our prayer should be, um, um, our, our expectation for be, should be only of him. And if he decides that it's fit to give to us something, then praise the Lord. And if he decides to withhold something else, then praise the Lord, all the same, okay? For he, he is, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than ours, okay? And he wants to give us an expected end. So um, we, we just, in our flesh, we just don't like the feeling of our lives being in someone else's hands other than our own, that whole loss of control. Um, we don't trust anyone with that other than ourselves, but we should be trusting the Lord with absolutely everything, okay? So they're basically blaming God and Moses and choosing to believe a lie instead, okay? But James 1 says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Okay, so that's the decision they've made at that point. They're discouraged with God's ways, they have a bad reaction, and they're discouraged uh, with God's provision and what he's provided for them, how he's decided their life is going. And then they make some bad decisions and they begin to reap what they've sown. So turn to Galatians. Hopefully you know this verse already, but if you don't, here it is. In the New Testament, Galatians 6. Um, first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians 6. So Galatians 6 and verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Okay? So we just read about being tempted and drawn away of our own lusts, okay? And then this verse teaches us that that, l that lust takes root. And then, you know, obviously in James as well, it brings forth sin. When lust are conceived, it brings forth sin. Um, and then in verse 8, then it says, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap of the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting, okay? So basically here, the children of Israel have let unthankfulness run amok, and they've caused basically fiery ser serpents to be sent in among them they chosen to enter entertain the serpents of evil lusting pride and sin and now they had to contend with poisonous snakes whose bite causes a fiery pain and eventually death okay um, you know if they had just thought about it they would have realized that up until this point in the wilderness not a single person had died from hunger or thirst <laughs> since they left Egypt. No one, all right? No one was laid low for a couple of days or anything because they were so hungry or so thirsty, okay? But a lot of things had happened and I just went through some of that list or whatever because people complained and because people refused to trust God 
and let Moses lead. People had died and, you know, uh, at one point, I think, at one incident, it says, um, how many people? It's like 14,700 people die by plague after Dathan, Abiram and Korah rise up against Moses and Aaron. Wow, that's a lot of people. But none, zero, zero for hunger and thirst. <laughs> okay, um, so this is the kind of God that they have been around for the last while. And then another point about reaping what you've sown is it's, it's unfortunate to think when you think about the fact that our sin affects other people, you know, the decisions that we make. So when we say that the children of Israel murmured against, we're not saying that absolutely every single one of them, all a million and a half or however many of them are, there are, all of them weren't murmuring. Some people were trusting God, okay? But things happened um, not for the best because of some of the crew, okay? So um, their decisions and stuff affected the whole group, okay? Now, I do expect it to be the majority, but at the same time, that's, a, that's a, an interesting truth, okay? So the snakes didn't only bite those who had murmured. And um, it's a horrible truth to dwell on, but it's true all the same. Um, it's a person's sin that causes a whole broken home, okay? Or, um, you know, like in, in the Bible, we find King David, he decided as a king, he just wanted to number the people and see how great the kingdom was that he was ruling over, how wonderful he was, kind of similar to Nebuchadnezzar. And... Um, um, it says that 70,000 people died in the pestilence. You know, he had a choice. He had, you know, what, would he be three years something running away from his enemies or anyway, he decided um, three days of pestilence that would happen on, on the children of Israel. And 70,000 people died and he was very <coughs> grieved by that. And he said, you know, let the sin be upon me and my house. But these sheep, what have they done? You know, that was his reaction. And um, he ended up um, buying the threshing floor of Verona and... Um, making a sacrifice that it might that the Lord might um, turn away his wrath okay and obviously the quintessential example of our sin affecting other people if you're in Galatians just turn back to Romans Romans 5 Romans 5 verse 12 wherefore Romans 5 12 wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world who's that one man Adam, yeah. A lot of people say they're going to be upset when they get to heaven. They're going to go straight to Adam. <laughs> Give them a piece of their mind. <laughs> all right. But in the same place, we would have all done the same, right? But anyway, this is how the, the verse describes it. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All right. So, um, you know, even if death didn't pass on just specifically from Adam, we would all have a choice that we would make in our lives that would condemn us. Okay. So that's the quintessential example. So that's, that's reaping what you sow. And, you know, the positive on that side of that verse in Galatians says that he that sow it to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Okay, so, uh, you know, that's a burden that Christians have that we wouldn't have this influence that was negative on the world anymore, that we wouldn't be scattering from Jesus, but that we would have used influence, used the health, used the life that we've been given now to gather unto Jesus and to bring them in from the fields of sin like we sing. Okay. Um, so, reap what you sow. The people turned to Moses for help. So again, I'm back in Numbers 21. I've even lost my place here. Um, numbers 21, verse 6, is it? 
Oh, okay, verse 6, yes. Um, Oh, that was six already, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Okay, I'm on verse seven. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Okay, so um, I don't know how long it took for somebody, anybody, to run to Moses and to say, look, will you help us? We've sinned, okay? Um, but it's a good, it's a good decision. <laughs> it's a good start, okay? Um, they were humbled by their circumstances and um, Moses, they asked Moses to intercede for them, okay? Um, so, Mo <laughs> you know, Moses didn't kind of get all self-righteous and be like, you're in this place because you, you, you did it and you get yourself out of it, you know, this kind of stuff, okay? He, he didn't hold anything against him, and he, he gladly prayed, okay? So, um, now the first thing I thought of here was it's, it's here the people rely on Moses to intercede and to get a hold of God for them. But, um, you know, nowadays it's wonderful our priest and our, um, the captain of our souls and the, the bishop of our souls is Jesus, you know, and it's nice that we can, we can go straight to the throne of God through Jesus Christ now. We don't have to go through a priestly system or we don't have to look to a, a holier-than-thou man <laughs> um, to get through to God and to get some help from heaven. You know, we can go straight to God, which is, which is the glory. <laughs> and it's wonderful. And it's, it's something that we shouldn't take for granted because it wasn't always the case, as we can see here. Um, so I said there that um, they, they were humbled by their circumstances. And I said there, I used the phrase, it's a good start. But we'll have to see how it goes, okay? Because Pharaoh, in fact, in Exodus, he uses almost the exact same words. He said, I have sinned against your, the Lord or whatever and against you Moses or whatever he's like pray that you take away that plague that's coming you know whichever one it was in Exodus 10 I can't remember right now and um, but we find out later if you read the next verse once he saw that there was respite once he found that the plague had gone he was like oh. and he hardened his heart more and he decided that he wouldn't let the children of Israel go so coming to the Lord of being humbled by our circumstances and, um, and admitting that we need some sort of help is good but it depends on where we go to for that help, okay? Um, there's another example in Jeremiah where it's um, Johanan and um, his crew, they asked Jeremiah for, um, you know, what they should do. Should they go to Egypt or should they stay in Jerusalem after Nebuchadnezzar has come through and um, just taken everybody away, Daniel and Meshach and Shadrach and all that, those people. And um, Jeremiah says, actually, you're feigning you know, um, these are my own words now, but he's saying basically you're, you're pretending that you're asking the Lord for advice, but you've actually already made up your decision. I'll tell you what the Lord says to you, but I know that you're not going to do it. And this will happen because you're going to Egypt, you know. So, um, you know, um, we just have to be careful. And then the opposite example then is Naaman, who was actually someone who came through, was humbled by his circumstances, but actually went the full hog. Um, he got distracted along the way because when he went to Elisha, um, uh, Elisha didn't even come out and meet him. He sent, um, oh, who's the fella? His servant. Was it? No, no. Um, anyway, I'm sure you know. <laughs> um, he sent uh, the guy who got ended up getting leprosy after this thing. Anyways, um, he sent his servant and said, uh, the, the master says, go, go dip in that river there seven times. <laughs> you know, and then close the door. And 
Neiman was like enraged or whatever. He's like, surely I thought he would come out and go, you know, in the name of Jesus, touch, you know, and this kind of stuff and make it this glorious ceremonial type, you know, hoo and then, you know, lightning will come down from the sky and strike him and, you know, something Hollywood type filmy, you know, amazing thing. But it was so humbling, it was so small, it was so uneventful. Go dip, you know, and she for five, six, seven, yay, go home. You know, <laughs> um, so he was furious and he went off in a rage. But they came to him and they said, look, you know, if he said go climb a castle and fight a dragon and then go and, you know, fight all these trees and <laughs> or something like that that come to life, wouldn't you have done that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I would have, you know. Um, but he was like, how not more? Just go dip, you know. So he humbled himself. But there, there's just more to it, okay? And that's all I'm trying to say here for this point. People turn to Moses for help, but um, help will be provided, but we have to turn to that help too, okay? So God tells Moses what to do. It's very basic here, isn't it? And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. So here, God answered, God answered, that's God answered, that there's something to glory about in the first place. And he told Moses to make a fiery serpent and put it on the end of a pole to lift it up above the people. Okay, and if anyone looked at that serpent, he would be made whole. All right. So I think it was interesting there, if you read that and you look back and you say, you see what the prayer was. The children of Israel prayed and they said, Moses, will you ask God to take away the serpents, get rid of them altogether? Okay. God didn't answer their prayer specifically. He didn't get rid of any serpents, did he? The serpents were still there, okay? But he did something better. So he answered them according to his wisdom. He answered them according to what they really needed. And he decided, because he's Lord God, he decided what was best, okay? And that, that's interesting. You know, a lot of times we pray for something, we really want a specific answer to something. But, you know, um, yeah, a, good, a good attitude towards your prayer is, you know, um, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, okay? So we do, we do want specific things when we pray, and um, all the better, all, all well if, if, if God answers those specifically. But you know, you know that he will answer in the best way possible when he does, okay? Um, so he basically said, he, he, the Lord, he, the, I have written here, the cause of death was to be put upon a pole. So those serpents that were coming through um, put that cause of death and raise it up and put it on a pole um, and, and um, then just tell everybody if they would just look towards this, this brass serpent up on the pole, um, then they would be healed. Okay, so a <laughs> um, couple of interesting things about that. There was no deserving. So, you know, the, the Bible words is, is marish, you know, there was no you know, only the people who, you know, who this, that, and the other. There was no, like, terms and conditions. You know, your house is at risk if you blah, 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 you prevail to keep up repayments. You know, all these kind of small writing that we have under, or under certain deals. And, and um, have you ever gone into a shop and said, oh, I hear this thing is 299. And they're like, oh, well, it's 299 if you treat this and if you do a backflip. And, you know, there's all these, these things that come here. But he said, no merit, no works involved. Just look. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, blah, blah, blah. Okay? Just come and look. The only requirement or prerequisite was that you had to have been bitten. Otherwise, it's no good to you. Don't bother looking at it. <laughs> if you're fine, go on your merry way. But if you've been bitten, 
you need to look, okay? I thought that was interesting. And you know, there, you know when you start studying the Bible, um, I read a statement that says, brass speaks of judgment in the Bible. And I was like, really? That was the first time I ever heard that. Um, so I started looking it up and they were like, oh, gold represents the glory of God and his kingdom and things like that. And silver represents redemption. So that's why you often have silver being exchanged for people's lives, like Joseph, like Jesus, um, that kind of stuff. And then he said, brass, brass is judgment. And um, oh, I was fascinating then, you, you start looking in the Bible to see where brass is. And um, you find Zedekiah, the last king in the Bible, he's bound in fetters of brass because he didn't respond. He was, did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he's surrounded by all the brass that's been ripped out of the temple. And they're all being taken away to Babylon. You're like, wow, this is it's very interesting. So, um, so brass here is that serpent, that cause of death, that's been judged by God. And that's been put up on a pole, is what it's called here, okay? And it didn't take five minutes. It didn't take 20 minutes. It didn't take three days to get your test back or anything like that. It took no time at all. If you just looked you were healed, it was instantaneous, and it was guaranteed, you know, no 30 day money back guarantee or that kind of stuff. Everybody who looked, they weren't going asking for a refund because it didn't work, they were healed, okay? Which is really cool, I'm skipping all my points here, but it doesn't matter, I think this is the last one. Um, yeah, Moses obeys, so we're on verse nine now, and Moses made a serpent, I'm seeing where I'm at, oh very good, Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Okay? So basically Moses obeys here. Alright? Um, uh, there was a guy in, in the group or whatever, part of the children of Israel, his name was Bezalel and he, he made all the stuff that was in the temple, fashioned all the different, there was brass stuff that were in the temple, the brazen altar and stuff. It's possible he could have made it, we don't know, but it got made anyway, this, this pole and this, this statue of um, the serpent. And it was mounted, lifted up above all the people. And, and I don't know which order this happened, but then the message was blazed abroad or was spread out amongst the people. Look, if you look, you'll live. So the good news was spread out amongst the people. Um, if you would just look and see, the salvation of God, the power of the serpent's venom would be broken and death would be swallowed up in victory. Okay? So that's obviously good news and we can kind of imagine what that's shadowing in the future, biblically. Okay? Um, what do I have here? The good news is proclaimed and those who look are made whole. Okay? So, and just as God has said, and I've kind of repeated myself already, if a person bitten just looked at the brass serpent, he was healed, okay? So God had provided a way of salvation, a way of deliverance. Moses had done his part, of course, and now the choice was theirs, okay? So remember I said a minute ago, like they came to the Lord, they asked for help, but um, like Naaman, they could have tripped up at that point where it says, just look at this brass thing and you'll, you'll be fine, you know? And they could have been incredulous about that and said, what do you mean, just look at this brass thing or whatever? Um, I could barely see it from here, you know, if I probably, yeah, I don't know. They'd probably have to look to do that, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it was that look of faith or that look that um, knowing that, well, if God says it, I better do that sort of thing. But, you know, it's possible that not everybody did that, okay? Um, the Bible definitely teaches us that, you know, salvation is open to all, but 
you know, um, that way is, is straight and narrow, and not, not many, a few there be that find it, okay? So we don't know how many people of the children of Israel were healed, and we don't know how many people decided that it wasn't for them, they weren't going to bother looking, they had other plans, they had a way, maybe this other thing might work for them. Um, you know, um, so the choice was theirs, and the choice is, is obviously ours today as well, whether we're going to, to follow the Lord. If you turn to John, I have it written up here, but just maybe not everyone can't see, but we're leaving numbers, and we're just going to go to John chapter 3. I'm just going to conclude here in John. John 3, 14 and 15. Okay, so while you're turning there, Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus about how a person can enter the kingdom of God. And he mentions something becoming born, about becoming born again. But uh, not understanding, Nicodemus asks if he needs to go back into his mother's womb. And Jesus says, it's not a physical thing. It needs to happen spiritually. And Nicodemus then responds, how can these things be? And, and Jesus uses this illustration from Numbers 21 um, in his conversation with Nicodemus. And he says here in John 3, 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then you go on to that verse then that everybody knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Jesus goes on to explain after that, still talking to Nicodemus, that he hadn't come to condemn the world, but that we were all condemned already. And he had, but he had come that the world through him might be saved. Okay? And he's saying basically that we all have been bitten by the serpent of sin, and which first began in the Garden of Eden, but travels throughout human history. And the fiery venom of that serpent of sin is in every one of our veins. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the good news is that the Son of Man, it did happen. He was lifted up and above the earth, just like the serpent was. And now he's calling and drawing all men unto himself. And um, you know, the Bible teaches us that then when you go further down the road and you, you look at places um, like Galatians 3.13 says, um, um, oh, let's go there. Look at Galatians 3. It shows how Jesus literally became sin for us. I'm, I'm quoting 2 Corinthians 5 now, but turn to Galatians 3. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Galatians 3 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, Okay, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So everyone is invited to simply look towards Jesus, looking unto him, the author and finisher of our faith. And um, just like I said, remember with the poll, there was no works, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No merit, no terms and conditions. The only requirement is that you have to admit that you've been bitten and that you have sinned against the Holy God and that we are liable, we do have God's judgment upon us. Okay? And not everyone's willing to admit that. But Jesus says, if you do come to that place, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I'm offer offering a salvation full and free, 
instantaneous and guaranteed. And obviously, the invitation then goes out. Will you not come to Jesus? You know, um, and there's nothing else that you can, you know, offer someone if they want to get to heaven, if they want to be forgiven of their sins, and they don't want to die in their sins, if they want to see a better part of eternity <laughs> after after it is that they leave this earth. Okay, so we're going to sing. There's a room at the cross for you in a minute, but. For the Christian as well, you know, I just think about Moses' role in that, okay? And I kind of briefly mentioned it. You know, for those of you who are saved, well, well I guess first thing is don't stop rejoicing. Because <laughs> it is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be saved. And don't get used to that. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, tell your testimony to someone. Tell it to yourself even. Write it down. Um, it's, it's a nice thing to go over and to remember. And uh, tell it to your kids. Tell it to your relatives. <laughs> And um, just don't forget it. So the question for you guys is, are you lifting up Jesus for all to see? Okay, Moses obeyed. Moses had that responsibility. If he didn't play his part, yes, God would have done something else. You know, not every picture that God wanted to paint was, um, was revealed through Moses. He, he refused to speak to the rock the second time or whatever, and he actually smote it twice. And um, that ruined the picture because Jesus was only, only um, smitten once for eternity. And we don't kill him again and again like in the Catholic Church and that sort of stuff. It's just once for all. So it, it, that picture was ruined in that sense and God was upset with Moses and said he wasn't going to see the promised land of this life, but he would in the next. So, um, you know, there's a responsibility here. Let's, like I said earlier, let's not scatter, but let's gather people towards Jesus and bring them in. And let's obey like Moses did so people can have the chance to obey the gospel for themselves. Because the Bible says for the, those of us who are saved, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So we've, we, we do have responsibilities and we do have something to do after we're saved. So um, I'll, I'll just pray, I guess, first and then we'll, um, we'll sing. Father, thank you, Lord, that we get to, to look at your word. Um, sometimes it can be so simple and maybe something we feel like we've heard before or obvious or any of these kind of words. But um, it's, it's the truth and it still has power, Lord. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter how many times we've heard something, if we haven't obeyed, Lord, we haven't obeyed and we haven't gone to the Lord. We haven't been saved. We haven't dedicated our life unto you. You know, these are things that we need, to, we need to respond, Lord, and we need to respond the right way. Um, obviously not like the people of Israel did. They, they let the things of the world and the, the problems and the pressures have a bad reaction, Lord, that, that pushed them away from the Lord. But, um, Lord, we need to have the right reaction, Lord, that we might draw close to you, Lord. Anything that draws us closer to you is positive, whether it's good or bad, Lord, in, in, in that sort of sense. So I pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us to just to love you, Lord, to draw closer to you um, and to lift you up and um, just to keep our relationship with you sweet, Lord. And I, I pray that everyone is um, in a good standing, Lord, um, that we know for sure that we're going to heaven when we die, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, encourage us, Lord, and enable us, Lord, then to just to speak to others. It's humbling. It's hard to do. We don't know when the time is right to do it. But um, we need to do all of the same, Lord. And I pray that you would help guide us by the Holy Spirit of what to say, what to do, when not to say anything, Lord. And just, um, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us with that, that we might draw, a help, Lord, draw all men unto you, Lord. So we just love you. Um, we thank you, Lord, for the time we spent in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.